0: Dan Butner, National Geographic Fellow and expert in suggesting ways that we can live longer, happier lives, is one of my guests today. I asked Dan, where does Seattle rank in the longer and happier lives scale? But first, if you're thinking about going into business for yourself, visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a self-employment quiz. In the quiz there are 20 questions, it takes about 5 minutes or so, and the higher you score on the quiz the higher your prospects for success. For example, there's one question that asks whether you are organized or not. Now, why is that important? Well, it's critically important. Because time is your most precious commodity. And the better you use your time, the higher your prospects for success. Where do you score on that? 1, not being organized at all. 10, just being the most organized person on the planet. Well, there's very few 1s or 10s, but where do you fall in between there you execute what you set out to do I mean an idea is worth nothing but when you come up with something do you get it done again those are all critical to the success of small business my name is Paul Casey and I host and produce voices of experience so if you want to give me a call you can do so at 206-459-5536 206-459-5536 again If you want to think about self-employment, you're thinking about it seriously, I suggest you take the self-employment test and go to VoicesOfExperience.com. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer, and along with Eric Ryder, who will be working the board today as always, he'll be stitching everything together. The theme of today's show is Outrunning the Pace of Change. I had an interview about 20 years ago with the former governor of Washington State, Dan Evans, and U.S. Senator. I listened to the interview just a few weeks ago, just to refresh my mind as to what I was talking to him about at the time. And I will play some of the comments a little bit later as to what he said, because he talked about the future of Seattle and Washington State. How close was he to being accurate? Because, again, this was 20 years ago, and he was projecting out 20 years and let's see how close he came to where we're at right now with some of his concerns and, and where we were at at the time. You'll have to stay with us to find out. That will be coming up in just uh, in about 10 minutes or so. Rick Stanton, advertising guru in the Puget Sound region, for many, many years, will be with us in just a few moments. We're going to be talking about sports broadcasters for baseball and football. What makes a great sports broadcaster, and what irritates Rick about some of the broadcasters we have locally now. Now, if you don't care about sports broadcasting per se, I'm going to expand the conversation as to why maybe you should care, and particularly if you're in communications. You can learn a lot from sports broadcasters, and we're going to talk about that, again, coming up in just a few moments. Rick will be on the air. Also today, Gary Bros, CEO of Fleetfoot Messenger Service. He has a very long history of entrepreneurship in Seattle, He wrote a book called Express Exec, a novel approach to outrunning the pace of change. I stole that from his byline there to put that into the theme of today's show. Again, outrunning the pace of change. Back with my interview in just a few moments with Gary Bros. You're
1: listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word.
0: Gary, welcome. Paul, I'm so how you doing? glad you're here. I am so pleased you have made it. Um, found out last time I talked to you, you were running for mayor. <laughs> and, yes. uh now that you ended quickly. are back into the entrepreneurial mode. Absolutely, and so glad to hear that you did complete your book, Express Exec: A Novel Approach to Outrunning the Pace of Change. Uh, I stole your subtitle of the book for the theme of today's show. Oh, cool! That's okay. There yeah, you bet, Clarence. To do that, I admitted it. So um, I admit I haven't read the book, but I want to find out all about it. Now, Larry Kaufman who's uh, very close to me, has tremendous things to say about the book, and Larry is not really liberal with his comments on a lot of things unless he really believes it. And that's what I say about Larry, and he feels this is a must-read. It's a page-turner. So tell me about the book, and w- and it's literally a novel, I guess, but anyhow, tell me about it, the book and how you came about uh, writing it.
2: Well, and, and basically I'm feeling as a business owner that I'm kind of overwhelmed by the pace of change myself, and I've seen all these situations where I've had it in the past, and I see other people having to make radical or significant change in a very short period of time with their business. And that's really hard to do because basically, you know, what the real is, the reality is, is everybody hates change, right? That's Nobody true. Nobody likes it. That's true. It's not a fun thing. And so they'll fight you. They, I'm talking about the employees. They don't fight you overtly, but they, they struggle, right? And they don't really want to do the change. So in order to make change, you have to approach the whole problem differently. So I thought, well, all right, I'd like to write a book about that. because I learned some things. And so I outlined it, and then I looked over the outline, and I go, wow, this is dry and boring. And I, and I said, I wouldn't read this book. So I wrote it as a novel instead. So it tells a story, right? People have learned about from things about, uh, about everything in life uh, by stories uh, for years and generations, right?
0: No, no question.
2: So I wrote it as a novel. It tells the story. There's the good guys and the bad guys, and there's the employees fighting back against management, and then sometimes working with them. And that's the way it can work. And I just walk through the reader through the process and through the uncomfortable conversations with the employees. So that's where the focus
0: is, is on like management to employees and how you adapt change or things like that. That's the major focus?
2: It is, and mostly it's it's that you. I, my conclusion from my own experience is you can't make major change by yourself. It, I mean, you have to get everybody on board, and and that's what I write about, and I try to explain the process that I've already learned through trial and error, you know, mostly the error part, right? hmm.
0: Sure. And
2: uh, it works fine. It, it, once you get people working with you, and are tied into the opportunity to make some extra money or gain something out of the change, then it starts coming together.
0: So this is just more than technology. The That certainly contributes a lot to it. But nonetheless, whatever, because you've been in business, what, 35 years now? Uh, more, Almost 40. 40, okay. So you've seen enormous change in your business. And is the change different now than it was 40 years ago? Is it? Or is it pretty much the same, but you have to bring people along even 40 years ago as it is compared to today? Well,
2: it comes at you faster now, is my experience. And so my one of the things I write about is you need to just be a little more nimble. And, and especially in small business and medium-sized business, the advantage you have over big corporations is that you can make decisions relatively fast and put them into action, whereas big corporations are still sitting together at the, the committee tables.
0: Sure. So, it takes a long time to roll things so out. So you
2: advocate, or you you abdicate that uh, advantage. If you don't kind of gear yourself for being able to move fairly quickly in order to do that, you really have to have the employees working with you.
0: So the book is Express Exec, a novel approach to outrunning the pace of change. I don't want to let you go yet, but how do you get the book?
2: Uh, it's everywhere. I like to think that. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's, it's on all kinds of... Uh, uh, digital ebook sites. Um, uh, you know, if you if you go in and just search on the name Express Exec, you should see it popping up on whatever site you're on.
0: Okay, that's great. And how about even Gary Bros? You can input that.
2: They can put my name in if they like to. If they can spell it right, they're they're good. It's B R O S E.
0: Right, Express Exec. So, what is the biggest takeaway that you have after you were done with the book? Did you change anything? Being kind of when I write a book or do some things like that, I get out of and look at it at 30,000 feet, and then you have the book done, and do you find now that you are doing things much differently with the uh, your business now?
2: Uh, you know, no. mostly I'm writing about what I've already done, and so it's not really affecting my business this now, except that I'm more in tune and aware of the fact that, you know, as I was writing it, I'm going, oh, yeah, you know, this makes more sense in the sense that obviously you have to get the team together first, before you start taking the first couple of steps. And some of those things kind of crystallized for me, but I knew them anyway without really thinking about out. I just didn't really think so much about it until after I finished writing the book, and I go, yeah, yeah, okay, that's what the process is.
0: Have you found that some employees, uh, certainly not one-size-fits-all, that when some people don't buy in, it's easier that they fall out of, um, let's say, your company or things like that on their own when you go through this process, it becomes very obvious that they don't have a future there?
2: Well, inevitably, you know, the, the truth is sooner or later, some people need to move on anyway. And and when you, when you build the team and you have people that don't want to jump in and participate and be part of it, um, it becomes pretty obvious to them, too, that maybe they should be looking for something else. And it's not a it shouldn't be considered uh, uh, viewed as a toy or a system for trying to get rid of people. It's just that some people will choose to make that decision for themselves because they'll see the handwriting on the wall.
0: So this book is really targeted towards managers, business owners, and whom else?
2: Yeah, really middle managers, people, anybody who's managing any number of people uh, in a business. Uh, business owners, certainly and particularly small and medium-sized companies that are more likely to embrace change and give it a try and do things that, that are different from what they did before, and they have to because everything keeps changing, and you have to keep pace. So, yes, it's, it's for them, and it's also, I like to think, for some maybe some students coming out of the UW with BA, uh, you know, business administration uh, majors mm-hmm. um, ready to go out in the real world. Okay. and it wouldn't hurt to be a primer for that.
0: Well, good. Uh, Gary, thank you for this. Uh, Gary Bros. we've been talking to, again, a serial entrepreneur in the Seattle area for 40 years. I was pretty close, but 40 years, and uh, Express Exec, a novel approach to outrunning the pace of change, and Gary says it's everywhere. I'm going to get a copy of it and read it. Either I'll talk about it or have you back after I get through it, but I'm excited. I knew you were talking about this book, and I'm Glad it got out there. One of the things I always talk about is that when you have an idea, it means nothing unless you execute and you execute. So that's great.
2: Thanks, Paul. Look forward to talking to you again.
0: All right. Thank you, Gary. So you're listening to Voices of Experience, and we're going to have another guest coming up in just a few moments. But uh, actually, we'll probably go to a break right now and uh, then come back with an interview I had with Governor, former Governor Daniel J. Evans 20 years ago. I think our biggest
2: problem over the next 20 years or so is going to be handling the huge number of people who will seek to come here. Uh, Washington State and Seattle as its biggest city are now well known internationally. Uh, We're not just a sleepy little uh, northwest uh, backwater. Uh, And uh, and Seattle has sort of become a, uh, a new favorite. Uh, city uh, in the minds of many people, both here and abroad. I think we're going to have a tough time. Nationally, a country much more diverse than it is today, and we're going to have to pay a whole lot of attention to how we assimilate and and how we work together uh, in in an increasingly diverse nation and keep the strengths and the drive that we've had up to now.
0: That was uh, former Governor Daniel J. Evans, and again, that was from 20 years ago, And he certainly cited the growth problems we're going to experience going forward, all of the challenges that we have, and we're right smack in the middle of that. What struck me is I could have had that interview with him last week. Again, he was a great governor and a great United States senator. He did share with me in the interview that he really enjoyed being governor, not so much a United States senator, but uh, we can talk about that some other time because Rick Stanton has joined us and he is on the line now. And, uh, again, I mentioned that Rick has been a guru in marketing for this community for many years. And he's with us to talk about sports broadcasting today and uh, yesterday, particularly, and what makes for a great sports broadcaster. Rick, welcome. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I read your your articles frequently on Marketing Northwest. And uh, this one jumped out at me again. A lot of them do because... What I like about your columns is that you don't have to say to yourself, what does he really think? What does Rick really feel about this issue? And this one, and I mentioned to you just a few days ago, I'm kind of a sports broadcaster junkie. I kind of think if I had nine lives, that's what I would have done at some point. And I kind of agree with you in many ways about some of the grace that you called out and how they really did it? Can you explain that?
1: Well, you know, I I grew up uh, in in the fifties and, and as a kid, and and certainly in the early sixties. And one of the things I was fortunate to be able to be exposed to uh, were the likes of broadcasters, and particularly in baseball, like Mel Allen, and Harry Carey, and Lindsey Nelson, and you know, uh, the likes. And there was an amazing sensibility that they all shared, even though their styles were different. They all made the game more important than they were. They let the game come to them. I don't think there's a, uh, a sports uh, venue uh, other than baseball that's more uh, appropriate for radio than baseball. Um, if you think about the timing of the game, the, the, the months and the year that it occurs, um, the, the adages about sitting on the porch you know, with a glass of lemonade or whatever the, your favorite beverage was and, and listening to your favorite baseball sportscaster, there was a, a magic that almost brought you to the stadium. And they had the, you know, those, those older sportscasters had the ability to tell a story and to do that.
0: Hey, Rick, can I just interject here or something right now? You sent to me something, or I looked at it, and it was Vince Scully, and I took a little piece of that broadcast where he was getting interviewed about some of just what you talked about. That's why I wanted to interject here. Could you play that um, right now for a second, Eric? I think well, when yes. I first started, uh, I tried to make believe I was in the ballpark, sitting next to somebody, and just talking. And if you go to a ball game and you sit there, you're not going to talk pitches for three hours. You know, there's a uh, running conversation, not necessarily the game. So that's all a part of what, what I try to do, as if I'm talking to a friend. Yeah. Rick, back to you. When you said about sitting on a porch, he said in the interview that you sent to me, essentially, that you're in the ballpark. He pictured himself as a fan sitting next to somebody and having a conversation. You're not having statistics all the time. What do you think?
1: Exactly. I, you know, I think there's a magic about, you know, it, I I i don't want to get into a get-off-my-lawn deal here, but, you know, I probably will verge on it. You know, it's interesting when you look at all the concerns that uh, current-day Major League Baseball has about the audience and how do we get millennials involved and, you know, so on and so forth. The game's the game. And if they want to start changing the game, so there's two outs in the inning, there's only seven innings, um, you know, uh, whatever cockamamie things they come up with to make the game faster and more uh, uh, appealing to people that have the attention span of a gnat, I I think it's really an unfortunate development in Americana because the game's the game. And if you don't like the deliberacy of it, if you don't like the fact that it's a a, a saga as opposed to a commercial in a three-hour radio broadcast, Um, I'm going to find it very difficult to support anything that changes that because the bottom line is baseball is baseball. I think the greats had the ability to put the game and the players before themselves. And one of the things I have a real problem with here locally, and uh, especially since Mr. Niehaus left us uh, in his halcyon days when he was at his very best, his very, you know, his Hall of Fame very best, what we have now between walk-up music, hydroplane races, um, all the other cacophony that co- takes place during a baseball game, and then listening to it on the radio, you have people in this in this market, and I don't know if it's the same in others. I can only assume it is. That want to talk about everything other than the game. They want to talk about what color uniforms they're they're wearing. They want to talk about. I mean, it doesn't. It, the specifics don't matter. That the broadcasters have drifted away from the ability to tell the story that is the game that day to either self-aggrandizement, how can I get to my next gig, or how can my voice in these three hours be the most important part of your listening experience? And it's really disconcerting to me.
0: Well, you're right. It's kind of a lost art, and uh, you cited some greats. Mel Allen, New York, when I was living there, I was a really young kid. I used to have the transistor radio going to bed to him at night and his voice was always there and he captured Yankee Stadium for me and I, when I walked into it, it was a cathedral. It was amazing, but I kind of knew what it would look like, but it wasn't in color. Hey, Rick, I have to run today because it's all too short, but I would love to have you back on this subject and others as we go forward. This has just been fascinating. and I'm glad you brought this to the attention because I really think we need to talk about this more and the fact is that in the background that you have and I have, I think this really applies to presentations all over the place. But well in out our time today.
1: I was fortunate to play baseball all the time from Little League through college. And um, if I don't know anything else, I know a little bit about the game. And I think people ought to honor it a little more than they do and leave it alone.
0: Got it. Good advice, Rick. Thank you Thank very you, much sir. for being here.
1: You bet. Listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit Voices of and take a five minute self employment quiz. That's Voices of The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit Voices of All one word.
0: My guest is Dan Butner and he is a National Geographic Fellow and former founder of Blue Zones, an organization that helps Americans live longer, healthier lives. His groundbreaking work on longevity led to his 2005 National Geographic cover story, Secrets of Living Longer, and national bestsellers, The Blue Zones Thrive, and The Blue Zones Solution. His next book, The Blue Zones of Happiness, was just recently published by National Geographic. My first question, what triggered his interest in finding happiness in various parts of the world, as well as longevity?
3: Well, I've had a good fortune for the better part of 20 years now to work with National Geographic. I think it's the best news outlet in America in many ways. But um, I was an explorer. Just I set records for biking in Alaska, Argentina, and around the world and across Africa. And, and then got more sophisticated about exploration or realized that all the geographical firsts are done. And got interested in expeditions, explorations that could find something that was meaningful to people. And about 17 years ago, I started researching areas around the world where people live the longest. We called them blue zones areas. And I wrote a series of New York Times best selling books and a cover story on that. And then... After spending a decade with, with long-lived people, you start thinking, well, it's not really worth making it to 100 if you're not happy along the way. So applied this um, technique we use, which is finding the statistically most extraordinary population and then reverse engineering you know, using scientific methods to figure out what they do. So Blue Zones of Happiness... Has struck out to find the statistically happiest places, and happy in different ways, by the way, and then go backwards from there. What, what do these places teach us, on a suboptimally happy part of the world, about being happier ourselves? And, and the book lays it out really story driven science and, uh, and then a, a, a nice, neat how-to on how to on how you can statistically get happier
0: yourself. And that's your latest book, Blue Zones of Happiness. Yes. And uh, in that book, is it the 25 happiest U.S. cities? Yes. Yeah, so part of it
3: is we got Gallup to collaborate with us to create an index that takes the 15 ingredients to happiness, and then we drew from data from 1.5 million surveys to identify the 150 or so happiest places in America. And, uh, and then rank them. So in the book, we also give that list. And You know, if happiness were a cake recipe, you need the necessities, food, shelter, health care. You, you should have a good partner in life. You should do meaningful work. You should give back a little bit. The most important ingredient in that happiness recipe, the one with the most variability, is where you live. So people don't realize that where you live hugely drives your happiness or lack thereof. So the reason we did this index, number one, is to identify where the happiest place in America. So if you really want to get happier, you'll move to one of those places. Or if you can't do that, at least know what the elements of a happy environment is so that you can change your environment to mindlessly improve your happiness. And that's the idea behind Blue Zones of Happiness.
0: Since uh, Tip O'Neill said all politics is local, I'm gonna exercise that yeah. leap to Seattle. Are we in the top twenty-five? And if so, why not? And what can we do to get there?
3: No, you are. You're in the top uh, quintile, and and uh, Seattle does a lot of things right. So the, so at the municipal level, uh, local leaders should be focused hugely on uh, social spaces. So worldwide, there's a very strong correlation between bikeability and walkability. And happiness. So you want to make sure that city planner is designing streets for human beings and not just cars. And Seattle does a pretty good job, not quite as good to your neighbor to the South Portland, but still give it very high grades, A minus or so. Billboards, whatever ordinances that can minimize billboards, billboards make only advertisers happy and they tend to convince us to do things that in the long run make us unhappy, like buy stuff we don't need and eat junk food and so forth. Having trees will improve the uh, easy access to parks. And then a food environment that favors fruits and vegetables. And you want to minimize the burgers, the fries, the pizzas, all that junk that's making America uh, fat. It's also making us unhealthy.
0: Well, I guess we'll just have to uh, cut back on those burgers and fries and pizza. Hard to do, but uh, he's right. It would be much better for us and our overall health if we do such. And uh, interesting about bicycling in Seattle. I wonder if he factors in the frustration that bicyclists and the cars have battling it out each day. But uh, I think in the long run, it will be worth it. With that, we're out of time. So that's all the time we do have for this edition to Voices of Experience. I'd like to thank Dan Butner, who was just there former Governor Dan Evans, Rick Stanton, and Gary Bros for sharing their wisdom and experience with us today. Again, my name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. If you'd like to give me a call about anything as it relates to the show, my phone number is 206-459-5536. 206-459-5536. Have a great rest of the week.